Today I want to talk to you on the subject, what is a leader? It is my goal and it's my joy to be able to come to conferences just like this on the subject of leadership and help men and women go to a whole new level. And that's what I want to do with you. I want to help you go to a whole new level as far as your leadership development is. I'm kind of a motivational teacher. I'm not a motivational speaker. A motivational speaker kind of just motivates you, and when you're all done, you kind of say, wow, I, that felt good. But about a, two or three days later, you kind of think, now, I, I was feeling good, but, but why was I feeling good? But I'm a teacher. I, I, I'm going to hopefully be able to give you some principles that will, in maybe in some senses, even be a little bit euphoric to you to you but what I really want to do is give you principles that five years from now you're applying into your into your church into your family into your business principles that have tremendous life-changing potential for you and so I want to start this day today with you by talking about what is a leader we hear a lot about it we hear a lot about leadership but what's a leader to get you to give you a handle on what a leader is Let's take the word and let's break it down. The letter L, let's start there, okay? When I think of a leader and what one becomes or is, the first word I think of is the word leadership. Leaders lead. And that's a fact. Now, when I speak about the fact that leaders lead, immediately that we get all kind of thoughts in our minds about leadership we, we say okay now leaders lead does that mean that if I'm the senior pastor of a church I'm the leader of the church does that mean if I am the uh, the uh, CEO of a business I'm the leader of the church does this mean if I own the business or if this means I'm a Sunday school teacher does this mean I'm the, the leader of the Sunday school class does this mean if I'm the, the dad or the husband I'm the leader of the family not necessarily we're going to talk in a moment about myths of leadership. I saw a cartoon recently, though, that I think kind of describes what a lot of people think of a leader. It was a, it was a, a picture of a, of a guy who is uh, he's in a two-lane hilly road, kind of like what you would have here in Arkansas. And a lot of curves, and it's two lanes, and he's, he's, in, he's the front car going about 40 miles an hour. And he's got about 30 cars behind him who are just honking horns and desperate to get the guy's name is Murray, Murray out of the way. And his wife's kind of disgusted too as he kind of smugly is driving his car with all these cars behind him and she is saying to him, Murray, just because you're the lead car doesn't mean you're the leader. I know all kind of people that are in a position that would say they're a leader but they've never learned how to lead. In fact, some of the most frustrated people I know of today are people that have leadership responsibilities, but nobody's ever walked in their life and said, okay, let's talk about leadership. Let's talk about how to lead. So let me give you, first of all, some myths about leadership. Number one, and I hear this all the time, people will come up to me and they'll say, John, uh, leaders are born, not made. In fact, many times they don't even make the statement, leaders are born, not made. Many times they ask the question. In fact, they'll, they'll raise their hand and they'll say, John, let me ask you a question. Are leaders born? Now, think about this question for a moment, would you? Just think about it. Somebody raised their hand and I said, John, are, are, are leaders born? Well, my answer is always the same. Of course they are. Think about the question. 
I've never met an unborn leader. I want to tell you something. Leaders are born and so are followers. That's not the question. What they're really asking when they ask our leaders, well, what they're really asking is, are there some people that have, they've got it. I mean, they, they, they just kind of come out of mama's womb and they got it. They're kind of a born leader. And then there are there, are there other people that they're out there and, and they, they, they don't have it. And they're never going to have it. And they're just destined to be followers. And certain people are destined to be leaders. And there's this huge gap between leader and follower. And you are either on one side or the other. Now, that's a tremendous myth, because here's what I know. I know there are certain people who have leadership gifts. There are people that are born with some natural leadership uh, kind of talents. I know that. But what really excites me, and the reason that I'm here with you today is, is I've taught leadership now for over 15 years, and what I know is I have developed a lot of people that are not real good leaders. They weren't natural leaders, and yet now today they are leading incredibly. They're leading large churches, they're leading wonderful businesses, uh, they, they've become leaders in their community, and yet they weren't, quote, the, the born leaders. So the good news is, whether you're a, quote, born leader or not, I know that leadership can be developed. And our whole time together today and tomorrow will be on helping you develop your leadership. Now, there's another myth about leadership, and that is that leadership is a rare skill. In other words, people say, well, you know, it's, boy, they either think it's a rare skill or they think it's very mystical. It's something out there that they're not sure what is, but every once in a while somebody becomes one. Here's what I believe. I don't believe that leadership is a rare skill. I believe it's rarely taught. What I really believe about leadership is there's not many people that really sit down and, and teach leadership. And if you don't believe me, think about it for a moment. How much leadership, as far as your education, did you have when you went to college or when you went to seminary? How many leadership courses did you have? In fact, many people are, are going to lead people after they get out of college and finish their formal education, but they didn't have any leadership courses. I think it's a, a skill that's basically rarely taught. Now, you combine the fact that leadership is not taught a lot with the fact that leaders can be developed, and it's not the fact that you have to be born to be a leader. And a classic illustration of that is, is my friend Dan Ryland. When Dan Ryland, in, 19, in 1982, when Dan Ryland came to Skyline, I mean, fresh out of seminary, uh, top in his class. And what we did at Skyline is we would, we would take our, our seminarians, and for one year they could be an intern at our church which basically meant we brought them from seminary to deprogram. You understand, we, we basically brought them back and said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna work on you, and we're gonna now teach you what really is, 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 is true to life. And uh, Dan, I'll never forget him, he, he's, uh, he, was, uh, he was not a people person. In fact, one day I can still remember in amazement as we were, there were about a half a dozen of us in the, in the lobby, in the kind of the front area, the administrative area of, the, uh, of our offices, and Dan Ryland walks through there with his briefcase. I'll never forget this. He walks by all of us. He just walks straight ahead, walks right by every one of us. And I'm hanging around with the people, and I'm, I watch this, this kid walk right by us. And I'm kind of amazed. I mean, he didn't say hi. He didn't say, how are you? He doesn't say it's a nice day. He just passes. And I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, he just passed people. I'm not sure he knows what a people is. And so I followed him to his office. I'll never forget. I followed him to his office. He sat down, got on the, you know, got on the side of the desk and opens up his briefcase. I mean, you're talking about a real melancholy here. 
You're talking about the kind of a guy that is so organized, if his briefcase fell out of his hand, opened up, and the books fell out, they would fall out in order. <laughs> and I said, I went, I closed the door and I said, Dan, you just passed all of us. You passed us, people. He didn't say hi, he didn't say how you doing. He said, oh, I know it. He said, I, he said I've got to get to work. I said, you just passed your work. You see, Dan, we're in the people business. I'm the people business. You're in the people business. I can promise you right now that in our whole walk of life, our ability to influence people, our ability to positively affect people, our ability to lead people is going to determine our ability as far as how far we go in life itself. Now, the good news with this story is Dan Ryland, Dan Ryland became a student of people. He poured his life into learning relationships. I mentored him, and he was with me, became my executive pastor at this church. And, and I'm here to tell you, he's with me today as vice president of Enjoy. And I promise you, this guy literally raised up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Every time somebody asks me, can a leader be developed? Are leaders born? Whenever I get into those kind of questions, I immediately point to Dan Ryland as a, as a person who has become a powerful, effective leader who didn't have what you would call the leadership goods when he was packaged and put together. And that's why I'm here with you, because I know the same can happen in your life. But it's a myth that leaders are born, not made. It's a myth that leadership is a rare skill. Another one is the fact that leadership exists only at the top of the organization. I hear that often. They'll say, well, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be the boss. If you're not the boss, then certainly you're not the leader. That's not true at all. In fact, here's the way this works. Leadership is influence, not position. It's not your title. It's not, it's not uh, the, the name plate that you have on your office door that determines whether you're a leader. In fact, in, in the next leadership lecture I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to spend the whole time on the subject leadership is influence. Number four, the fourth myth, that all leaders are charismatic. And I speak of charismatic in the fact that they have charisma with their personality. In other words, there are people who think that, well, just certain leaders have a charisma about them and they just attract and draw people. I wrote a book several years ago entitled Be a People Person. The second chapter of that book, Be a People Person, is worth the whole book because it's entitled What Draws People to Me? In that chapter, I talk about charisma, what really charisma is. You know, we don't understand charisma. Let me take a moment and kind of explain it to you. You see, when you talk about a person that has charisma, you're not talking about a, a certain type of gifted personality, a Pied Piper type of person. We're not talking about that. The best way I can divine charisma and help you separate a person that has charisma from a person that doesn't have charisma is very simple. People that have charisma when they walk into the room where you are, or where people would be, when they walk into a room with people, the person with charisma, their highest and top agenda is, how can I make the people in this room feel good about themselves? In other words, people with charisma have what I call other people-mindedness. They are focusing on the needs of other people. So therefore, when they walk into the room, because that's their agenda and they have what I call other people-mindedness, when they walk into that room, 
They're thinking about you, and so they're talking to you, and they're building you up, and they're asking questions about you, and they have personal interest in you. And so you know what happens? As they talk about you, you know what you say? You say, boy, I like him. Come on now, anybody home? That's exactly what charisma is. A person with charisma has the ability to put other people first and get on their agenda and go find out what their heart is and deal with the passions and the things that they like. A person that lacks charisma, I'm going to tell you exactly that. People that, you know what I'm talking about, a person that lacks charisma. Isn't it true? There are some people that lack charisma. I mean, they're so bad. If you're on the elevator and the, it stops on a floor and a person gets on, they have so little charisma you don't even know who they are. I mean, you don't, you don't even see them. You know what I'm talking about. They affect nobody. They, I mean, they're there, but nobody's home. Now, let me tell you about that person. A person that lacks charisma, you can go to the bank on this. Instead of their agenda being the other person, their agenda is themselves. They go into a crowded room, and you know what they're thinking? They walk into that crowded room, and they sit down with people, and they're saying, Boy, I hope I look okay. Hope, hope they like my sweater. Wow. Hope they accept me. You see, they're inward focused. And when you are an inward focused person thinking of yourself instead of others, you will always lack charisma. Just as when you're outward focused thinking of others, you will always begin to a certain degree to develop charisma. But many times I'll hear people say, well, well leaders, a leader has to have this this charismatic personality. That's not what we're talking about at all. In fact, here's the way this works. Charisma gets you inside the door. Credibility will keep you there. And that's a fact. And what I have found is that many times we give too much credit to a charismatic personality and not near enough to a credible personality. Now, when you start your ministry in your church, when you begin your business, whatever you're going into, here's what I can tell you. Charisma will get you kind of started and it'll flare you out a little bit and, and you'll get a little bit of notice with it. But it's the character and the credibility that will keep you in the leadership position. There's one more myth, and, and that is the fact that leaders, leaders control by manipulation. A lot of people say, well, well, boy, if you're a leader, don't you manipulate people? And, and boy, don't you have to kind of watch motives? And of course you do. But let me give you the difference between the distinction between manipulation and motivation. Manipulation is when, when you move people for the leader's advantage. In other words, if I'm the leader of the pack and I start moving you for my advantage, then I am manipulating you. Now I am getting gain out of movement of you. Motivation is where you move people for everyone's advantage. And that is so, that is so important in a leader's life. A leader moves people. That's the very fact that they're leaders. Leadership means movement. Leadership means direction. And so we are always wanting to move people, but there's a difference between motivating them and manipulating them. Now, let's talk about making you as a leader, first of all. I have a passion for what I'm about to say. In fact, I have an unbelievable passion. So as I teach you this next principle, what I want you to understand is you've got you to not only hear the principle, but you've got to see my heart. Here's what I want to say to you. The first thing I want to say to you in developing your own leadership is you have to understand the value of leadership. 
And I am on a mission for the next two minutes to help you understand the value of leadership in your life. If up to this point you do not understand it, it is my goal to help you understand it. Let's explain it this way. The leadership of your life is the lid on your life. Whatever your ability to lead right now, whatever that is, that is the lid that you have on your life. Whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whether it's your church, whether it's a Sunday school class, whether it's your youth group, whether it's a small group setting, it doesn't matter. Your, your leadership hand is the lid upon your organization and upon the size of the group that you have. Now that's very important. And the reason that that is very important is the moment that I understand that leadership determines the size of my ministry or the size of my organization, whatever it is, then all of a sudden what happens is I begin to have a passion to learn how to lead. Here's the way this works. If, for example, let's put a number on this hand now. Let's say this hand is a, um, let's say it's a four. From one to ten, we're kind of an average leader. Maybe even a hair below, but it's a four. Okay, this hand is a four. If this hand is a four, my leadership is a four, let me tell you something, my organization is a three. Can I tell you what your organization is never going to be if your leadership's a four? You're never going to have a seven organization with a four leadership. Now, see, this is where Christians sometimes, is, this is where we get really kind of messed up because we pray, we're sincere, we say, oh, God, help me to build a great church. God, help bless my Sunday school. God, bless my business. And we ask God to do something, and God's saying, you, you know I'm going to help everything I can help, but help yourself. You've got to learn how to lead. Some of the most sincere, wonderful, precious, godly people I know, I'm talking about people that really love God, are frustrated because they've never understood that it's their leadership that determines the size of their organization. Now, if this leadership's a four, watch this. If this leadership's a four, then my organization or my department or whatever is a three. Now, I can't maybe take you from a four to a ten, but here's what I know. In the lessons that we're going to do in these next couple of days, here's what I do know. I can take you from a four to maybe a seven. And you say, wow, you can take me from a four to a seven? Of course you can go from a four to seven. Now, watch this. If you can go from a four to a seven, watch what happens. If my leadership goes from a four to a seven, my ministry goes from a three to a six. I've just doubled my organization. All because I have learned how to lead people. I'm here to tell you the good news, and the good news is that the moment you develop your leadership, your organization begins to grow. Listen to me very carefully. Read my lips. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You say, John, excuse me, you don't mean everything. You mean most things. No, no. Read my lips. Everything rises and falls on leadership. When an organization has a good leader, it grows. And when it has a bad leader, it doesn't grow. When Israel had a good, keen, good keen, it prospered. And when Israel had a bad keen, it didn't prosper. I'm here to tell you, everything rises and falls on leadership. And the moment that you understand that, and the moment that you buy into that, and the moment that you begin to have a passion to develop your leadership, the moment you grow as a leader, your organization grows. That's why I'm here at this conference. You see, I don't need to go to your church. I don't need to go home to your business. All I need to do is grow you.
See, I have, a, I have a passion, that is to grow leaders. That's why we have hundreds of leaders in this room right now. I'm here to grow you because if I can grow you, I'll grow your organization. I'm not worried about your organization. I don't have to come to where you are. I don't have to come where your ministry is. All I've got to do is grow you. If I can grow you, your organization will grow. Let me tell you this. Non-growing organizations are a result of non-growing leaders. If your church has been flat for a long time, it's because your leadership's flat. All your organization is, is a mirror of your ability to lead people. So the second thing I would share with you today on the making of you as a leader is that you need to make a commitment to learn how to lead. And the reason that you need to make a commitment to learn how to lead is that's going to affect what size of an organization you have. Now here's what I find in this area of making a commitment of learning how to lead. Here's what I find often happens. We come to a conference like this, we watch a video, we sit down and we, and we, we, we grab a notebook or read a book and we say, okay, now I'm going to learn how to lead. And, and here's what I want you to understand. You have to understand the value of what I call process. Especially contrasting the value of process over against the value of an event. Events are good for decisions, but process is good for change. So what happens is, as you begin to listen to me teach leadership for these next couple of days, you're going to begin to make a decision to grow as a leader. That's the good news. What you're going to find is it's going to be the development of hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year that makes you a leader. It doesn't happen in one moment package. We, we kind of have a fast food mindset when it comes to leadership. We kind of want to go up to the drive-in window and order those, those leadership fries and burgers. You know what I'm saying? And get it put in a sack and we kind of want to take off and say, okay, I got my leadership here in this sack. It's a process. It's a, it's a lifelong journey. Now, you say, what's going to keep me from being a leader? Only one thing. It's the same thing that keeps every organization from growing. It's so simple that we miss it. When we look at an organization that stops growing, we say, okay, well, what happened to that church? What happened to that business? What, what happened to that department over there? It's very simple. All organizations stop growing when the cost gets too high. It's so simple. Don't miss it. When does your church stop growing? When the cost is too high. I'm not talking about dollars. It could be dollars, by the way. But it doesn't have to be dollars. The cost would maybe be that for you to get to a whole new level, there's going to have to be a change of personnel. It could be that there's going to have to be a learning of leadership. Like we're talking here, it could be that it's going to, you're going to have to, to uh, remove some departments and put, add some departments, or you're going to have to change some times. Now here's what I'm saying. It's always when the cost gets too high that the organization stops growing. And for many of you in this room, the organization has stopped growing because as a leader, you haven't continued to learn to grow. And so there's going to be a price to be paid. Now, we can either pay now and play later, or we can play now and pay later. See, there always will be a payment. The question is not, are you going to pay? The question is, when are you going to pay? 
You can either determine now to learn leadership and teach leadership to those around you and develop your organization the way that God would have it to go, or you can say, well, no, I don't want to learn it. I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to, I don't want to dedicate my time. I don't want to put the money in to do this. And so therefore you don't learn as a leader. And someday, somewhere, one day you look back on your life and say, boy, I never reached my potential. So my challenge to you, number three, is start leading. And leadership can be described on four levels. There's the leadership that interests people. That's the person who says, I know where I'm going. There's the leadership that impresses people. That's the person who says, I've been there. It's more impressive, isn't it? When a person not only says, I know where I'm going, but I've been there. And then there's the leadership that influences people. That's the person who takes others with him or her to that planned goal and destination and finally there's the leadership that impacts people and that's the one where you not only have taken them with you but they are now taking their friends with you and now it's beginning to multiply and that's going to be a lot of fun when I think of a leader when I see the word leadership I, the first word I think of is that leaders lead the letter E in the word leader when I think of a leader I think of an equipper I think of a person who has the ability not only to grow themselves, but to grow other people also. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this conference learning how to equip people around us. But I can tell you, Harvey Firestone was right when he said, it is only as we develop others that we permanently succeed. I put a little... Uh, I put a box there in your notes, the equipper's game plan. And let me just take a, a second to, to, to kind of explain what happens. I think if you go down to the left lower side of that box where it, where it says low, I'm just down here in the corner, this is where we all begin. And when we begin in our organization, when we begin in our life, we can go two ways. Some people only go one way, some people go no ways, but we can go two ways. We can go from low to high on that left side as we begin to develop self. We begin to, we begin to develop ourselves and we get up to the left hand corner, we can go to the right and we can begin to lead ourselves. We develop ourselves and we learn to, we learn to lead ourselves. And, and that's a challenge for all of us. We also, if we want to, can choose, as we begin on the low side, to begin to go to the right. And we can say, not only am I going to develop myself, but I'm going to develop others. And not only am I going to lead myself, but I'm going to lead others. Now, you always start on the left side and go up. You always start with self-development. You always start with leading your own self. Can I tell you something? If you and I cannot lead ourselves, we cannot lead others. So it always starts with me. If I cannot lead John Maxwell, I cannot lead other people. It's amazing how many people are still trying to lead other people. They've never learned yet to go under self-discipline and lead themselves. So I start with myself, but then I begin to develop others. Now in that lower left-hand box, at best, all I do is survive. But as I go up onto the left-hand side, I begin to produce. And as I go down to the right-hand lower corner, I begin to reproduce as I develop others. And by the time I have led self and begin to let others, then I begin to become a leader. And now our goal is to get in that right top-hand corner, to go from the left bottom to the right top. Now, let me just do a quick acrostic on the word equip because we'll do an entire lesson on this later. When I equip people, the letter E stands for the fact I evaluate them. 
I have to ask myself a very simple question, how well can they do? And I do it from a 1 to a 10. And then letter Q, I qualify them. After I evaluate them, I ask myself, okay, how well did they do? In other words, I've kind of put them to a test. If they did well, and I sense that there is some leadership potential, the letter U begins to kick in, and that is I unite with them. How well can we do together? Okay, they did well there by themselves. What would happen if the two of us came together? The letter I, I began to invest time with them. And then the letter P, I finally provide resources and experiences with them. We sit down and all of a sudden we begin to to provide resources, and I began to uh, take them to conferences, and I began to put tapes in their hand, I began to put books in their hands. When I evaluate them, I ask the question, how well can they do? And again, in your notes, there's a from a one to a ten, you need to, you need to say, okay, I think they're a three, or I think they're a nine. Then I qualified them, how well did they do? From a one to a ten, then I, how well can we do together? Let's do something together, and let's, again, score ourselves. Did we get, do, do we do an eight? Do we do a two? Then I invest time, or am I getting a return here? And then is it getting better? And if you're negative, the good news is, you can fix the letter D in the word leader. Leaders are dreamers. You show me a leader, and I will show you a person that has a dream. I'll show Negative, the good news is, you can fix the letter D in the word leader. Leaders are dreamers. You show me a leader, and I will show you a person that has a dream. I'll show you a person that has a vision. I'll show you a person that sees farther, sees clearer than the other people around him. In fact, in my book, Developing the Leader Within You, I talk about a whole chapter on vision casting. And in that book, I basically say this, the indispensable quality of a leader is that they have a vision, they have a dream. In fact, once in a while in conferences like this, I'll have somebody come up, a pastor, or they'll come up and they'll say, John, could you give me a vision of my church? Could you give me a dream for my church? I can't get, you know, I, I mean, it's not like I can reach in my pocket and say, yeah, here's a dream for you. Hey, take this vision. You, you can't hand them out like that. In fact, if you don't have a dream, you don't have a vision for your organization, I promise you this, you're not a leader. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that's got a vision is a leader. I've seen people that have visions. They weren't a leader. They just had too much buttermilk and onions the night before they went to bed. I'm not saying everybody that ever had a vision is a leader, but I'm saying this, every leader I have ever known had a vision. So let's talk about, let's talk about what I call the four vision levels of people. There's some people that never see it. <laughs> Isn't that true? How many of you know people like that? I mean, no matter how plain it is, they never see it. Would you, how many? Yeah, 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 we all know that. Don't we? They usually sit right on the front row, don't they, huh? I mean, you, just, you, just, you know what? You, you preach this message of vision and passion, you just look at them and say, ain't nobody home.
I call those people wonders. They just kind of wonder through life and they wonder about life. And they're just kind of like the children of Israel. They just kind of go in circles all of their life. It's their spiritual gift. Wondering. Then there's another level. Some people see it, but never pursue it on their own. They're what I call a follower. They'll follow you. They would never do it on their own. They would never climb that mountain on their own. They're not going to rise up in the early morning and discipline themselves to go to the peak. But, but, but if you go, and especially if you go and kind of wait on them and hang around with them and encourage them and, you know, give them some water to drink on the way up there, you know what I'm saying? They'll, they'll, they'll follow you. And then there's some people who see it and pursue it. They're what I call achievers. They're personal achievers. In other words, they don't need anyone else. They just get up in the morning. They're going to climb that mountain. They're going to, they're going to take that vision. But then there are some people who see it, they pursue it, and they help others see it. And that's a leader. That's what leaders do. Leaders take people with them on the trip. So key. So key. I think, I, I want to make sure we see this. I think we see the difference between a successful person and a leader by now. For example, I can be a successful person and map out my life and arrive at a predetermined destination. I could say, for example, I can say, okay, John, I want to go to that fern over there. And, and so I can work through life and discipline my life and pay a price. And one day I get over here and I say, I've arrived. Now, that's a successful person. I've gotten from point A to point B and I've done it. Now, there's a difference between a successful person and a leader. You see, a leader takes the trip, but a leader doesn't take the trip by himself or by herself. You see, the very fact that we are a leader means that not only do I take the trip to the fern, but I have the ability to coalesce and bring people around me and bring us all from point A to B and get us to where we need to become as a leader. Now, there are two valleys in every vision. And I never hear very many people talk about it, so let me talk about it to you for a couple of minutes. There are two valleys. Whenever you have a vision, you're going up to the peak, I promise you there are two valleys that you have to go through. Now... First of all, we sit on a plateau and we see the vision. It's seen in our eyes. And about the time we see the vision, we go into what I call the first valley. The first valley is what I call or label ownership. Is it not true that as a leader, many times we see the vision? We get all excited about it. In fact, we, we've prayed about it. We've, we, we've written it down on a legal pad. We're all excited. We see this vision. And we go out to our people to share the vision with them. And, and we go out to our business to share the vision with them. And as we share it, again, there's nobody home. Or, or it's kind of like, boy, that's, a, that's some pretty big goals you got there, Pastor. Man, that, those are, whoo. Hey, praying for you. God be with you till we meet again. <laughs> Every one of you understand this. The first valley that you ever go through when you begin to cast a vision is the ownership, where the people begin to own the vision themselves. Now let's say you're successful in bringing them through that valley. 
The moment they began to own it, you began to become activistic in it. You begin to take action. You, you, and you're on a higher plateau now because now you're beginning to work out that vision. And as you're working out that vision, boy, you're saying, hey, look at this. Hey, we're, we're sweating together. We're working together. We're going up. In fact, look, if you'll notice in that little, little picture I've got diagram for you, when, when you start daily action, you're much higher than where the vision was seen. You're up on another plateau. And, and that's the way it goes, by the way. Whenever you climb a mountain, it's not like this. It's you climb a mountain, you, you dip and you go up a little bit. But if you go through the dip right, if you go through the ownership valley right, when you come out on the other side, you always come out a little bit higher plateau than you were before. Never worry about the valley. Always make it your commitment to go through it correctly so that when you come out on the other side, you're plateaued higher on the other side. Now you're action and you're, you're doing the vision. I promise you there's another valley yet. You're not through the valleys. If you think the first one was difficult, that is getting the people to own it and buy it for themselves. The second one is a much deeper, much, much more difficult valley to go through. Because after you begin to work it out and after you begin to uh, spend time rolling up your sleeves, rolling up, getting into the arena of action, you come into this second valley. And the valley here is what I call the valley of cost or price. What happens is, as you begin to, as you begin to work out the vision, what I have found happens so often is you begin to understand what the price is going to be. And the people say, man, I didn't realize it was going to take this long. Wow, I had, I had no, man, I had no idea that it was going to take this kind of effort or this much money or we were going to have to make this many changes. Let me give you a personal example. When I went to San Diego to pastor Skyline Wesleyan Church in 1981, I hadn't been there over about a year. The church was growing very, very fast. And I realized I was going to have to relocate the campus. And so I began to share the vision, and we went through the first valley of ownership until the people said, yes, this is our vision. We want to relocate. We want to, we want to have land so we can build facilities to reach more people. And, and we went through that valley, and, and we began to work it out. But when we realized it was a $35 million project, it was kind of like, hello. How bad do we want this? Let, let, let's, let's talk again. Let's talk. You know what I mean? Let's have another family discussion. You remember when you were a kid and, and your dad would say, we're going to have family time tonight. And you'd get the kids and the mother and dad around the table and you kind of close the door. Didn't you? you couldn't have your friends there. And you're just going to talk about the real family stuff. Well, it, it's, it's in this valley. You've got to have another. It's a gut check. You've got to say, okay, where are we? And, and what are we willing to pay? Remember, I told you all organizations stop when the price gets too high. You've never seen an organization plateau and stop that it wasn't a price issue. Many, many times it's not dollars again. But I had to help our people understand the value of the vision. And we had to go back and do a gut check. And I spent a, I spent a period from 1980, about 88, to 1995 of trying to buy land that needed to be zoned and literally we spent five six seven years raising dollars millions millions of dollars millions of dollars for land that we could not even guarantee the people we could build on I've often said when I die someday the finest leadership I've ever done I'll never get credit for 
Because you see, when you're leading and, and everybody's marching, man, it's easy. I, I, can I tell you, the toughest years in Moses' life was after they said no to Canaan. Can you imagine being a leader and just helping people wander through the wilderness saying, someday we're going to get to go over there again? And by the way, you older folks, you ain't going. See, I learned a long time ago in leadership, when the momentum is going with you and the tide is going with you, you don't have to be a great leader to be out front. You just need to have a surfboard. And isn't it fun to ride the board all the way in? But try riding a surfboard against the waves. You see, that's the difference between great leaders and just people in leadership positions. You say, you know, the morale is down in the church. In the business, the finances are down. That's when leadership is needed the most. What I have found is that's when leaders are needed. That's why you need a leader. You don't need a leader to ride the wave of momentum. You need a leader when the momentum's not with you. And that's what leaders do well. Leaders have the ability to cast the vision in such a compelling way, put themselves into the vision, and then bring people along with them. That They have the ability to take the mountain. The mountain's not easy, but they have the ability to take the mountain. It's the indispensable quality of every leader. I wish I had time to really help you understand vision the way I want to. How to, how to develop a picture for it. I want to encourage you. Many of you have this book. Many of you have my book, Developing the Leader Within You. If you do not have it, get it here. Get the book and read the chapter on vision casting. It will help you understand how to place the vision in front of the people until they will pay the price and they'll go through the valley of what I call ownership. By the way, until a person owns a vision, it'll never be successful. And I, I watch leaders who are unwilling or afraid sometimes to put it out on the line and ask for commitment because they're afraid if they ask for commitment, they're afraid the people won't jump on. Well, if they, they don't jump on, you're not going to be able to ride the train out. Remember this, you never know what you have in your organization until you ask for commitment. You never know what you have in your organization until you find out what ownership is. Many times when I travel into cities to do conferences, I rent a car. I go to the airport, go to the airport rent a car. Off I go to that conference. Can I tell you something about those cars that I rent? I have never in my life waxed a rental car. You don't wax rental cars. You, don't put, you try to put as little in them as possible because you know it's not yours. When the red light on the dashboard comes and says it needs oil, you say, boy, I've got to get this back as soon as I can. You don't put money in something that is not yours. It's the same way with the vision. People never invest in the vision until you've taken them through the valley of ownership, until you've taken them through the valley of price. You've got to ask them, first of all, do you want to do this? And number two, are you willing to pay for it? And when you've answered those two questions, then at that point, as a leader, you can begin to cast the 